And so when things f- become feel really generic, it's because, well, generally you've got a storyline that doesn't express the character uh, and a character that isn't expressed through the story. But when you have the two working together, then it feels... that's when you have something really amazing and you stop having cliches and you stop feeling generic. It feels original because the two are constantly working together. And, um, and Logan is one of those things where this story is an expression of the Logan character and the Logan character requires this story to express him. Hmm. So they work together. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Logan. Episode 2, Season 2 of the Story Toolkit. <laughs> I okay. think we need more dramatic intro music. Okay. That's what we need. Hi, <laughs> hello again. We're back. Again, again. Um, and if, as always, if you have any questions, uh, you can contact us through the website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com or on Twitter at thestorytoolkit. And thank you to everybody that has been getting in touch and providing ideas. Yes. Okay? Yes. Are you happy? Yeah. You seem blindsided by I, I just realised why we like Logan. Oh, why? It's a road movie. It's basically Dumb and Dumber with powers. <laughs> You know I'm right. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, um, and that's the end of the episode. Logan, you drove half a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. We still have time. Okay, Logan, synopsisize. Go. Um, so uh, Hugh Jackman uh, got given a really good role and made a film. That's my synopsis. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. You, everyone knows who Wolverine is. Everyone saw Logan, and if you didn't, why? Okay, spoilers. Logan, here's the plot. Logan is looking after Professor X, who's having mental seizure problems because he's old and he has Alzheimer's and his brain's got a problem. And remember, he's the most powerful psychic on the planet, so when his brain goes problematic, everyone around him is going to die. So Wolverine's just looking after him. And then out of the blue, this woman shows up with a little girl, and says you've got to help us get her to the border, I think, with Mexico. The Mexico border. Or is it the Canada border? It's the Canada, Canada right? Border with Canada. It's one of them. <laughs> it's some American border. It's the border with Canada. Okay. and Because she's from, she's from Mexico. They're yeah. going to Canada. That's what it was. Okay. okay. So it's like, you need to get us there. Wolverine's a limo driver and all that stuff. And he's like, listen, I'm not interested in all that kind of... What? Why are you laughing? It's true. Because it's dumb and dumber. I told you. Don't right? worry. I'm a limo driver. <laughs> See, that's it. I told you the whole thing is. Uh, so he's got he's got uh, Mary Samsonite with him, and so Wolverine has to get this girl to Canada. He doesn't want to, um, and he says no. And then he changes his mind when the woman gets killed by people because people are chasing down the the little girl. I I don't care. I'm butchering the story. Um, because you're doing a I'm, grand. I'm job presuming everyone going. has seen this. Never so, presume. I'm, I've done it. It's too late. So anyway, so then the woman, uh, so the woman's dead. So Logan has to look after the kid, and Professor X is totally on board about looking after the kid because that's what Professor X does. And he's like, yeah, we'll totally look after her. Turns out the kid 
has the same powers as Wolverine. <gasps> How's that happened? Well, it turns out she's a clone and that uh, Richard E. Grant is going around being mean and like he's managed to stop mutants from being born. So there's no more mutants. So it's there's this really bizarre thing where because uh, she's uh, the first mutant that's been around in in a, in a while now. I think the last mutant born would have been 2009 or something. Someone worked out the dates. So the fact that she's 12 and a mutant is crazy. So what's going on? It's since she's a clone because the, what this guy did is he basically said uh, that he's vaccinated the populace through water. Uh, he's uh, he's put like stuff in the water that stops people from mutating and so he's kind of controlled mutations and so he's trying to make versions of mutants so there's a whole bunch of little kids that are sort of genetic copies of previous X-Men characters and she's one of Wolverine so she's Wolverine's daughter in that way um, and so he has to take her to this meeting point on the border where all the other kids are going to be and they're all hoping that in Canada they're going to go to a place because there's an X-Men comic book that says hey there's a sanctuary that they can go to and Wolverine's like there's no sanctuary this is all nonsense and Professor X is just like Logan we still have time and then swearing when he gets angry it's brilliant I love it and um then these guys, by Richard D. Grant and Douglas Pierce, these guys go after them and they chase them. They have all these wonderful chase scenes and things. And uh, they shack up with a family. A family lets them stay over one night and they go, okay, fine, we're going to stay the night. Wolverine's like, we shouldn't stay the night. It's dangerous. It's like Professor X is like, Logan, I'm hungry. Let's just stay the night. So they stay the night. And then Professor X has this wonderful moment where he's talking to Wolverine at night and Wolverine kills him. And it's not actually Wolverine. It's a clone of Wolverine. Uh, but he looks exactly like Wolverine. They have this big fight. The whole family dies. Stephen Merchant's character, Caliban, dies. Everyone dies. Wolverine and the girl escape. Um, they keep going. They keep going. They finally get to the meeting point, but that's where Richard E. Grant tracks them down with Douglas Pierce and the evil Wolverine clone. They have the big final fight to the end. Wolverine loses this fight. He's about to be killed, and uh, the little girl saves him. Um, with this adamantium bullet uh, that can kill him. So she kills the thing and then Wolverine dies holding her hand and they bury her and then they go off. And that's that. And it's very nice. And that was a very quick way of telling that story. It was quick. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just sort of ran through it because... Uh, but you, you, just to remind people of what the basic beats of the story yeah, are. Yeah, those are the big beats. Um, yeah. You reminded me in your, in your telling... Um, just how good Patrick Stewart is in this movie. He's really wonderful. <laughs> He's just so good. He's so, so good. I loved him. He's um, just great in it. Okay, so we... Someone has come along. <laughs> just we, so great. We really liked Wolverine, so let's... Let, uh, Wal- not Wolverine, Logan. We yeah. really liked Logan, so let's great. get into why. There's we'll lots start, of fun. Start really with lovely. the... Very touching. Yeah, start with, start with the character. So, to get into the meat, let's start with... Um, uh, uh, Logan's dimensions. Oh yeah, so um, uh, Logan, uh, you know, people have taken note of it because it was sort of genuinely moving and touching, um, and people had a lot of empathy for Wolverine in it, and people were kind of moved by this sort of swan song for the character. And uh, it's it's worth noting, like, okay, if we're going to talk about this character, what is this character uh, in terms of dimensions? And as we've pointed out before, um, and this is in the case in, in Story by McKee, a dimension is just a contradiction within a character, a consistent inconsistency in a character. 
either between the outward superficial characterization and their true nature or within the true nature of the character themselves. And so the amount of dimensions a character has is really dependent on um, the genre and how much inner conflict a character has. And so characters of certain genres do not have many dimensions at all. Uh, with action stories, typically the characters in a full-length action story, they might have two dimensions at most. They don't need many more than that. John McClane is two dimensions. We talked about Superman before, and Superman has one, one dimension. maybe two, yeah. in some versions of him. Um, so having... Uh, a lot of dimensions is really something that's meant for stories like redemption stories and education stories and it's not and breaking bad yeah <laughs> it's not an indication of quality of character um, because the character is dependent on their genre and it just makes sense I mean if you're ha telling a story like a heist story a lot of the story is focused on the daring do fun of how they crack the safe and not the in a turmoil in the character whereas a story like in treatment you know we have a psychological drama is entirely about the character wrestling with their own internal conscience and emotions and so on so obviously that's where the complexity is the complexity of a heist story is in the vault not inside the character whereas the complexity in a um, psychological drama is inside the character not in the waiting room or or the couch, right? You see how that works? It's just a question of where the complexity is put. So, Logan uh, is only two dimensions, as far as I can tell. He only really has two contradictions to him. Uh, and that's all he needs. Um, on the one hand, he is a noble hero, but he's a savage animal, right? He's very noble. He's got a sense of honor. Uh, you know, he's a samurai. He's this thing. He's just a really honorable person, but he's also a complete savage. So on the one hand, he can be honourable and take care of Professor X. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the other... And put up with anything, like when Professor X calls him an animal and right. all that stuff, and he just takes it all. Uh, he's really um, he's really noble and sort of self-sacrificial. But at the other times, he's just a savage guy who sits in a bar drinking and just maims anyone who pisses him off. Yeah. So, uh, and it's completely consistent how, that, how he works. But that's one contradiction. Um... The other contradiction is um, that he, on the one hand, is very loving and caring, and on the other hand, absolutely does not care about other people, uh, and cares only for himself. Uh, so people come up to him and ask him for help, and he goes, no, I won't help you, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but then on the other hand, he will put, do, put everything on the line to save someone mm. uh, who he barely knows. Um, so he's constantly um, switching between those two elements as well. And again, it's consistent. It's not like <laughs> out of the blue, he just does oh, random things. It's consistent. So really, he's only got those two dimensions. And that's all he needs, right? He doesn't need any more. It's not like the character is lacking. There's this. It's just there's this whole thing about, oh, you've got to have your character be three-dimensionalized. And all that. It's like people don't even know what a dimension is, let alone why they need three of them and the fact is you just don't need three and Wolverine has two as far as I can tell he might have I mean I have to I'd have to sit down with Logan 
and break it down to be absolutely certain, but I'm pretty sure he has two. I can't think of a third one. That phrase, like, make your characters three-dimensional, it is essentially just a euphemism for make your characters more interesting, right? It's not. It's a euphemism for um, make your characters seem more real. Um, More like real people. And And so having these contradictions. It's not only that, it's just... um, it, the term three, make your character three dimensional is a, is a term that has no meaning for most people. They just say it. And what they're really saying, the subtext of that statement is, you should uphold to an arbitrary standard that I can't be bothered to define. Which is basically what that means. And it's just like, the, the standard of a character is dependent on the story they're telling. The, the story determines what is required of the character and what your character has determines what kind of story can be told it's a sim- it's a symbiotic thing it's it's two sides of the same coin it's a beautiful segue to the next point it is and so <laughs> and so Wolverine has two dimensions those are his two dimensions that will dictate what kind of stories he's in and what kind of stories he can tell and so on and holding him to a standard other than that doesn't really make any sense because Wolverine is not going to sit down on a therapist's couch for 20 minutes and Gabriel Byrne is going to ask him what he's really feeling that's not going to be a Wolverine story he's not meant for those kind of stories and if you wanted to tell that kind of story you'd have to rewrite him you'd have to rebuild him mm. um, so it's it's just one of those random things as I say it's like and it, and it doesn't apply you don't want bit characters to be three dimensional characters you don't necessarily want comedy characters to be three dimensional Bugs Bunny is not solved by like you, you don't make Bugs Bunny better by making him three dimensions do you know what I mean? It's mm. it's it's just it's a nonsense statement that people use to just kind of go, I don't like it and I can't be bothered to express why and I don't know why and it's just it's just this it's just a sort of nonsense that okay. aggravates me. Well let's talk about the action then. <laughs> it infuriates me. I, I flagged up your excellent segue no, and then you <laughs> then you pumped the brakes in me. I just feel like I kinda of wanna go Dennis. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Dennis Reynolds. No, uh, let's talk about the action. Yeah, so as I was saying, um, character and plot, the character determines what kind of stories they can tell. The type of stories that you want to tell determine what kind of characters are required to tell them. Um, well, there, there's, a, there's a bit in um, uh, in story, second mention from a key in this episode, um, there's a, <laughs> a bit in story where he talks about um, people questioning what's more important, plot or character. Yeah. And and the response is, well, plot is character and character right. is plot. They are they are so yeah. intertwined. Yeah, it, 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 they don't have to be. People actively seem to not intertwine them. We did a whole podcast on Doctor Strange, right, about that problem. Well, yeah. You had a plot yeah. and you had a character and they the character wasn't expressed through the plot and the plot didn't express the character, which is why it felt sort of generic. I mean, it was fun, but it was like you could just tell this story with almost any sort of character, like yeah. Neo or whoever. It would be the same exact thing. Um, and so when things become feel really generic, it's because, well, generally you've got a storyline that doesn't express the character. Uh, and a character that isn't expressed through the story but when you have the two working together then it feels that's when you have something really amazing and you stop having cliches and you stop feeling generic it feels original because the two are constantly working together and um, and Logan is one of those things where this story is an expression of the Logan character and the Logan character requires this story to express him so they work together and so what if you I mean we, you know those two dimensions I mentioned what is the story about 
And the story is a guy who is savage and noble, right? He's doing a noble thing, but he's a savage. People are calling him an animal throughout the film. People uh, treat him like an animal. Um, And in fact, the villain he fights at the end is even more savage and less human than he is. Um, So he's faced with his savagery made manifest, okay? But, and at the same time, he's got this little girl who he's got to be caring for and doesn't want to care for and back and forth. And he's doing the same with Professor X. So you've got this character who is a noble savage, who is an who is a loving uh, misanthrope, right? And what position is he put in? He's put in a position where he has to risk his life to save other people's lives uh, for no reason other than their lives. There isn't... There's not a huge thing at stake. It's not like the world is at stake. There's nothing grand at stake. It's just he's in a position to help somebody and he doesn't really want to, but then he feels he has to because he can, right? Which is the whole thing. Remember, they had that crash on the motorway with the family Mm. and Professor X goes, we should help them. And he goes, someone will come along. And Professor X just goes, someone has come along. Like, he always wants someone else to be the one to solve the issues, not him. So what do they do? They create a situation that, as the story opens, seems really general. It's just a girl. Mm. And as the story progresses, it becomes more and more specific to Wolverine. Like, this is all Wolverine. Wolverine can't let someone else deal with this. He has to deal with it. And it's the result of his own choices and his own actions. So it's very small and localized, and it builds up to the um, the nature of this character, which is your between you know your own mistakes and your own regrets, and what you can do that's good and so on. So between his nobility and his savagery, between his uh, uh, what do you call it, miserliness, not miser. Why does that mean someone is alone all the time? We like being alone. Not misanthropic. Well, misanthropic, whatever. Uh, uh, misanthropic. Reclusive? Reclusive, you know, reclusive and, and uh, versus his uh, need for a family. So the whole film builds and it progresses. It doesn't just start there. It progresses to a point where Wolverine can't, has to kind of like deal with these issues and the action is motivated because there's things that works. Yeah, now you mention that, I feel I, the, the progression of the movie is worth flagging up. I did feel like yeah. the, they did turn that quite nicely. Because hmm. he is so dead at the beginning. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm, he, he does yeah. the typical Western cowboy thing. Yep. Like, yeah. No, I'm not helping. Don't want to help. But just bit by bit, he's drawn more and, and more. And, into and also, he's kind of, he's just waiting. Because yeah. uh, he makes it clear his end goal is wait until he has enough money to take Charles on a boat, take Charles out to the sea, where he can't hurt anyone else, and then pro- either wait for Charles to die or put Charles out of his misery when he gets too bad, and then because he won't have an infinite supply of medicine on the boat, mm. right? So there is a question of like how long is he willing to let? And then once Charles is gone, he takes that adamantium bullet, bullet and blows his own brains out. That's that's his end goal. So he's just treading water. He can't just kill. Professor X um, where he is because it might kill other people it might hurt you see what I mean? even there he's kind of there's an ability to it despite the fact that it's kind of savage what he's doing right but that's his plan his plan is the murder suicide of him and Professor X once it's, he has enough money it's a, it's a Wolverine solution to a problem yeah right? and he's like he doesn't know how else to another deal with char- it yeah another character wouldn't come up with the same yeah. solution and the only reason he's doing it is he feels responsible for Professor X because Professor X looked after him 
and because mm-hmm. of the Westchester incident, uh, that that seems to be Professor X accidentally had a mind seizure and killed all the other X Men. So Wolverine has this sense of like I've I've got to do it because no one else is around to do it, and I don't want to. If it was up to me, I just like if Professor X wasn't sick, Wolverine would have killed himself quite a while ago, mm. right? So Wolverine is just he's at the end of it, and he doesn't care. He doesn't want anything, but he 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 wants to have that sense of family again or whatever and so these events come in it's funny how they take something like the death the death of professor x would at the beginning of the movie set him free yeah to kill himself yeah halfway through the movie raises the stakes now he has to save the little girl yeah right exactly and then they kill professor x and he's still going on right he won't stop who were so the, the Professor X dies in the film. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, and, it's and, something at the beginning of the movie that, yeah. that Logan would have um, would have wanted. Yeah, and and he he and not only that, but there's uh, again you see there's that sense of honor. He can't just he can't just uh, renege on Xavier after what Xavier did for him. So mm. he can't just walk out the story on Xavier. He can't do that. The little girl he doesn't know the little girl anything. Then he discovers the little girl's a clone of him, and now he feels responsible. So his nobility comes in. He's like, I, now I have to do it. I have to look after it. And even then, he's trying to get out of it. He wants that hero's death. He wants to go out in the blaze, right? He wants, like, he wants an honourable way to not have to do things, right? <laughs> and he doesn't get it. The story won't let him do those things. And it keeps progressing, driving it more and more personally. It never goes wide, this film. This film, if this film went wide and said, "Yeah, Wolverine has to do this to save the world," which is what typically the X Men would do, right? That's not going to be compelling for this character because this character fundamentally doesn't really care mm. about the world. Uh, and he, but so when you personalize it, it gets more, and more deep into that sense of you can't express Logan's loving nature by going wide. You can only express it by going deep. Because you don't love everyone in that way. You care about people, maybe, but you don't love. And since Wolverine has this whole animal-man kind of battle inside him, his capacity to actually genuinely feel something like love, not just altruism, but love, it's very important. So you need to build the story around that capacity. And in fact, in the X-Men, generally what they would do is they always had a little girl in the X-Men. Mm. Rogue, Shadowcat, Jubilee. There was always the little girl that Wolverine always latched onto and protected. And that was generally the sweetest part of that character that everyone kind of always responded to. And so this film just takes that to the to the furthest it can go by really digging deep into his capacity for love like how much can he love and that's and that's ultimately the point here yeah what we're discussing they they went as deep as they could into this character yeah. generated a story that could only be yeah generated for this you couldn't character. tell the story for you couldn't tell the story for like spider-man or this couldn't be a wonder woman story no it's a specific story to wolverine built out of who he is and what's interesting is it's very much built on the model of a western Mm. it's got so many of the same sort of basic tropes and beats and conventions of the western 
and yet it doesn't feel like it's a West- it doesn't feel like it's um just a generic western in the same way that you'll watch an action film and it feels like oh it's just a generic action film against a generic villain mm. and whatever because the nature of how he's going down this road is inherent to, to Wolverine he makes choices and those choices then dictate the next series of events and the villains that have been created for him to face are in this case quite literally are extensions of him mm. Um, whereas that's not the case, for example, you know, just to bring up Doctor Strange again, because we did a whole podcast on it, so we got into a bit more bit depth. Too. We did two, but we did a whole podcast specifically on this oh, sure, topic. Sure, sure. Um, and Doctor Strange was fun, but Cassilius has has is a villain that doesn't have anything to do with Stephen Strange. He's just a villain. He's just a bad guy doing a thing. He has nothing really to do with Strange. And the story's events don't have anything to do with Doctor Strange's change of beliefs and all that kind of stuff. It's just very stock action stuff that's fine. And the character's, you know, got a couple of dimensions and that's fine, but they never really click Mm. together. When I say they don't click together, I don't mean the problem with Doctor Strange is it went too wide with the story, right? Because that was fine, that it went wide. You know, all of reality became up, uh, at stake. That's not the problem. It's it's about them clicking together. So Wolverine as a character wants to go personal. He doesn't want to go wide. The character specifies that, right? So um, uh, Doctor Strange, not necessarily Doctor Strange, you know, you want to do this thing about how he's a very arrogant, self-centered man, like Tony Stark is, mm. and it's about them sort of te- realising they have a responsibility to the world at large. So that story does want to go wide. So it's not... When I say that they're not clicking, I don't mean it didn't go personal. I mean they're not clicking in that the events aren't linked to the character. Mm. It's not that they're not personal or wide or whatever. You don't have to just make it personal every time. That's not the thing to copy from this. Uh, you could Because uh, uh, the whole point here we're making is you couldn't take the basic structure of Logan and apply it to any superhero which is what people want to do they'll all want to do the old superhero at the end of their line one last time putting on the belt, gun belt and okay and make it really personal and all that so not every hero wants to do that that is not something Superman wants to do (laughs) you know it's not something Batman wants to do Batman does not want to do this no Batman, Batman. As soon as Batman leaves Gotham City, it's becoming a problem. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and it's it's the whole of Gotham that Batman needs. Like the equivalent for Batman is the Dark Knight. I tell you, yes, yeah, sure. right. That's the. This is that's. If you go, okay, what's the character of Batman? What kind of character villains do you generate, and so forth? The Dark Knight is the kind of thing that you produce where Batman and the story, everything's clicking together and makes sense, right? Um, and he, but Logan, no, Logan Wolverine doesn't care for much more than a very small area of his world. And... I was wondering when to bring this up, and now's as good a time as any, I guess. Um, the the whole writing exercise that you introduced to me probably about a decade ago, if not longer. Yeah, I, how for how long ago we've been talking about I, stuff? I, like I remember this. I came up with it when I was in art school, so as so it could have been uh, almost twenty years ago. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but the exercise uh, being that you take a character and you real really boil down 
um, what makes them unique and and try and pitch or create a, yeah. outline a story that could only be expressed with that character and that's really what it feels like with Logan well yeah I I remember that it came because I was actually thinking how to write comic characters it was a creative exercise I came up with which was the idea being DC or Marvel says here's a, here's a superhero write this series for 12 issues hmm. and I and in the and the, and after a while I realized that the way you do this was you basically treat them like a little genre and you say what is it with this character I can tell that I can't tell anywhere else and that just applies regardless of genre that applies to anything you want to write a story about say um, a guy going through a divorce for example or my ridiculous football farce uh, from from the uh, inspiration episode we did like episode forty nine yeah, yeah. that you start thinking okay what what is it that I can tell with this character in this world that I couldn't do elsewhere what kind of story events can I have that I couldn't have somewhere else what what is it about this that makes because the thing is you know people talk about inspiration the fact is you get inspired so much you can't possibly tell all the stories you come up with so whenever you sit down to write something you've got to tell yourself well what's why am i writing this story and not the 20 other ideas i have in my head you know um i, I mean I, I, geez, I came up with a really great idea for doctor who i'm never gonna write it right but it's like i came up with it it's like you just keep coming up with idea oh wouldn't it be great to tell a story about this and that it's like well if you're going to sit down and spend the time you've got to ask yourself you know what is it so with wolverine it's like well what is it about wolverine and sometimes two people will look at the same subject matter and come up with different answers and that's fine it's not about finding the one it's not like there's one answer for every situation it's just about you have to look at it and make a choice of this is what I am going to use this to. Logan's an example of that. We were talking yeah. off mic before about how you, um, uh, Hugh Jackman wanted a uh, wanted him to live at the end, right? Yeah. So uh, originally, Hugh Jackman wanted Wolverine to kind of walk off into the sunset. Uh, you know, he's put his guns aside, and that's that. And that's one way of doing Wolverine. Um, but James Mangold, the writer director, kind of convinced him that he had to die. Because the and it seems to me, I mean, I don't know why Hugh Jackman changed his mind exactly, but from my point, from watching the film and from seeing Hugh Jackman's reaction to it, it seems to me that if Wolverine walks off alone at the end, Wolverine hasn't really learned anything, mm. and Wolverine therefore has to um, has to kind of make that final thing of he he's he's he can't be with other people because he's just messed up he can't he can't do it but he can't, he doesn't walk away because he doesn't want to be with them it's just that his time's up he's mm. done and so it's kind of like a button on that character and because Wolverine's also immortal and constantly he's got the regeneration and all that stuff he, it feels like there wasn't a price that was paid and so Hugh Jackman's referenced this like there's a price to all the killing which is why they put uh, that clip from Shane in the film mm. which is what's the price Logan has and the price for Logan can't be he walks off alone He's always been alone. That's not a price. So the price has to be his death. Mm. Just he has to die. It's not. It's not like a vicious punishment. It just has to be like he can't just keep going. Which is the perfect time to move on to the controlling idea. Yeah. So the film, the controlling idea of the film, how and why life changes, based on everything we've just talked about, what this film, 
how this expresses the character. Someone looked at Logan somehow and looked at that character and realized that the controlling idea for Logan is he can't save himself. He just can't do it. Uh, and the more he tries to, the more other people will get hurt. Every time he tries to save himself, people die. And uh, he can't do it. Which is why he ne- he doesn't get out of the... He keeps getting saved. Right? Just as he's about to die, someone saves him. He can save other people, but when he's about to die, he can't do it. Someone else has to come in and save him. The uh, farmer saves him. Um, and uh, the girl saves him. But he can't do it himself. Doesn't that make a, a really nice plot point out of a normally very tiresome cliche in action scenes? Yeah, yeah. That that's a horrible cliche where the sidekick comes in and saves someone. Yeah, yeah. But in Logan, it has enormous meaning because the whole film feels like this is his last chance to be a human being. This is it. Hmm. And so every time he can't rise to the challenge and save everyone, and someone else has to come in and do it, it feels like he's not living up to what he's supposed to be doing. Mm. He's not living up to that thing and that thing. So at the very end, when he saves the kids, because the kids are okay, the kids yeah. the, ki- the kids save him means he got the kids to safety. Mm. The kids are okay. So them saving him doesn't eradicate what he did. He did it, and it cost him his life and everything, but he did it. He saved them, but he couldn't save himself in the process. They had to turn about and, like, you know, rescue him for that brief moment so that he didn't die at the hands of that thing. But they took out the guy for him. Yeah. They did it all for him. So it was it was very much like that's what this is. It's not just a cheap, meaningless turn where, mm. oh, we don't know how to get the hero out of the mercy scene, so, okay, we'll just have someone come I was save I going to bring up so the mercy it, scene. It's meaningful. That, that, that Logan being saved by other people expresses the idea of the story, which is he can save others but not himself. Mm. And that, uh, in, in that sense, uh, the contradictory, I guess, oh, not the contradictory, the, the, uh, the irony of that being that by saving others, that is how you save yourself. Mm. When you put others above you. So it's, it's a big sort of... Um, it, it's what it is. Is what's interesting about it as well is that it's it's not the fascist Western myth, which is we need someone to come in and help us. They come in and then they walk, turn around and leave, hmm. because that's the kind of nonsense that fascists use to come into power. They come in, they go, "We don't worry, we'll clear the, we'll clear up this town." Yeah, clear up the town. They clear up the town. Yeah, we're not leaving. What? Mm-hmm. This is our town now. No, it's all gone wrong. And the Western was this sort of myth where they were coming. We cleaned up the town, and now. We're off. See you later. It's like that never really happens, right? Uh, Wolverine, um, he comes in, he saves people, but the price is he's he's gone. He's not he's not going to stick around. Mm. They've said he's helped them save themselves in their own way, and so on. So anyway, it's just very touching the way they did it, and it's very much an expression of him. That's that. So that's 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 um, like what what can Wolverine say about heroism that other heroes can't say? And his, his, what can he say? That you can't save yourself. Batman in the Dark Knight doesn't say that, for example. Batman in the Dark Knight says that uh, heroism is about enduring. It's not about being loved. It's not about being accepted. It's not about any of that. It's about doing what's right, regardless of what everyone else thinks of you. 
You know, that's what the Dark Knight is about, mm. right? Endure, Master Wayne, and all that stuff. He can be our silent... I mean, they literally say that at the end of the film, right? He can make the choice no one else can make. He's our silent protector. He's the hero we deserve, but of the one we... Like, the whole thing, right? That whole ridiculous spiel at the end by Gary Oldman is... That's the controlling area of the film. Batman is about enduring and sacrifice for others without any, like, uh, personal reward, okay? So that's what Batman would say about heroism which makes sense right he gives up a lot to be Batman but Wolverine isn't about that Wolverine isn't a billionaire playboy he doesn't have lots of wonderful tools he's this poor guy who's almost more animal than man just wants to sit around drinking keeps getting experimented on by the government has these weird powers that won't let him die (laughs) right and it's just like okay we're going to tell a story about how he just can't save himself he has all this stuff and he can't save himself that's Wolverine and you, I can't remember if you alluded to this or whether you said it off mic, but I'll bring it up again just to make sure we, we hammer the point home. Mm. The villain is yeah. an expression of this as well. Yeah, so the the villain, uh, 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 interesting thing, Richard E. Grant, the villain was originally Mr. Sinister. Uh, they set, Mr. Sinister? They, they set this up in... Um, He's a he's a guy. I love him. I love Mr. Sinister. I always loved him as a kid. He's a guy with white skin and a red diamond on his head and he has a giant blue suit of armor with mad sort of uh feather-like cape and uh, a red diamond on his chest as well. And uh he has um his his famous story, Mr. Sinister's famous story is what well, he's a genetic He's a mutant, but he has all these genetic sort of engineering things that he does. And his famous thing is he has a, a bunch of mutants go out and kill really weak mutants to harvest their thing so he can make better mutants. That's his basic thing. And they alluded to him in X-Men Apocalypse, the post credit scene in X-Men Apocalypse. Never saw Apocalypse. wasn't great, but um, Wolverine is in it, and he, they break him out of the Weapon X program. And at the very end of the post-credit sequence, someone comes in and takes a bunch of um, test tubes, and one of them is the Logan test tube. Mm. And they close the thing, and it says Essex Corp. And Mr. Sinister's real name is Nathaniel Essex. And he's like 100, 200 years old, whatever it is. So there was, oh, Mr. Sinister, Mr. Sinister. And of course, if you look at Logan, um, that's the tube they used to create, uh, X-23, uh, and so Richard D. Grant was hired to be Mr. Sinister, and when they made Apocalypse, they um, that was the plan. He was going to mm. be Sinister. And, hilariously, in X-Men Apocalypse, they have Caliban, which is the part Stephen Merchant played, except they're completely different. Oh. That's because no one is talking to anyone else on Fox. <laughs> right? There's just no... This is why the X-Men have horrible continuity, because no one makes anything with talk like no one talks to anyone else so I, I mean seriously like the, you can have two Calibans in the in two films uh, anyway consecutive films as well <laughs> it's just crazy okay. right. anyway uh, so anyway so that was their plan and James Mangold's making the film and he's like yeah I can't have Richard E. Grant walking around with white makeup and a red diamond calling himself Mr. Sinister that ruins the tone of this film I was going to say tonally that's a little it up. does not work right and Richard E. Grant's a bit annoyed by the way because that's what he was high. <laughs> he was like oh I'm going to play the supervillain it's like we've changed your character he's a guy in a lab coat called Xander Price so you're like okay feel a bit demoted and like Brian Singer's like don't worry we will do Mr. Sinister at some point in the future we'll do a Mr. Sinister film it's like cool Mr. Sinister's a really great villain 
but not for Logan. <laughs> if you can seriously imagine Richard E. Grant with a giant plume of blue black feathers and a red diamond on his head going, I am Mr. Sinister. That's, that does not work in this film. <laughs> so they cut that out. So you have, you have a triptych of villains. You have Richard E. Grant. You have uh, Douglas Pierce, who's wonderful. Um, he's the cyborg dude. And then you have X-24, which is the Wolverine clone without any humanity. Yeah. And the three of them work together to sort of create this um, thing. Because the important thing about Wolverine is Wolverine is part villain as well. Mm. So he, he can't just go up against someone who's really obviously a villain like Mr. Sinister. In, in his own film because if you did that that's the problem with like Sabretooth and stuff that's why he has a problem with villains Wolverine because Wolverine is himself kind of a villain um, the Sil- Silver Samurai is a good villain for him because the Silver Samurai has a heroic noble quality to him you see what I mean yeah yeah so Wolverine it, it, it's it, the same it's the same problem with um, Hulk and with like exactly. were- werewolf stories and things like that right or the Punisher or the Punisher you have this problem where, well, when you have a villain, uh, when you have a hero, only certain villains work for them. And um, Wolverine, this idea of having a triptych of villains really works because what it does is it makes Wolverine's inhumanity and villainy more prominent because it has to generate a lot of the conflict. Mm. It lets Wolverine generate a lot of his own conflict. Whereas if he has these really archetypal villains, that's not going to happen. It's the same with Guardians, right? Ronan is really archetypal, but he's kind of minimized in the story because the Guardians cause a lot of their own trouble. Yeah. So uh, so that's that's how it has to kind of work. Like, if you're going to have an action hero who causes a lot of his own problems, the villains, by definition, have to take a sort of back seat. So, I mean, you could argue maybe that the villains could have been designed in a way that's more appealing than they are. They are a little lackluster, but they help express what Logan is about. They work. Mr. Sinister's maybe too much, right? But maybe Xander Rice is too little. Yeah. Right? I thought I thought they were fine. The the side I thought, the thought, the I thought they going... were fine, but there was a part of me that was like, I'm almost not excited enough and maybe that's because these guys aren't enough but at the same time I I would much prefer this than going too far because Mm. going too far would utterly destroy it Mm. a little too too little just means okay instead of being excited I'm going to be a bit more emotionally invested in the uh, in 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 the in Wolverine's need for a family and stuff Mm. so it's not so terrible but if you went too far the other way all that stuff would just disappear. But the 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 eventual point that I wanted to get to was um, the the controlling idea being he he can't he can't save himself if he no. can only save other people. Yeah, and he is killed by himself. Right, a version of that's himself. yeah that's exactly yeah. right. Like it's just bam right there. That's yeah. what that's that's what that means. Like, so whilst the, he gets killed, by, they could they could have used Sabretooth, right? Wouldn't have had the same effect. Right. Because Sabretooth is kind of a mirror of him, but not him. It's like, no, this is you. This is him, yeah. This is you without the other half of your character, without your humanity. This is you. It's also a great example of a a villain just 
physically or um, uh, being more powerful yeah. than the hero, right? Yeah. You knew going into that fight, like, he's not going to physically overpower his clone. He can't do it. He's either going to have to outsmart him or he's going to lose. And in this yeah. case, they expressed... And you know Wolverine can't outsmart him because Wolverine isn't like Because he's not smart, right? No. He's just, he's just angry a lot. Yeah. He's just really, really angry and can't be killed. And now you go, well, you're up against someone who is more angry than you because they have no humanity. They have no conscience. You have yeah. some. And, um, yeah, he's, he's stronger than you. You're, you're dead. There's no way. And you can't, haven't beaten him yet. Mm. So you're watching the film like, can he beat him? And you don't see how. And he can't. And he's going to get killed. It's like, yeah, you're, you're done. And then the girl saves him. And you go, that works. Mm. That, that has meaning behind it. Um, because he managed to save her. Yeah. Because um, he matters enough to her that she saved him. Yeah. She didn't just run away. She saved him, right? And and you mentioned as well. Um, there's that brief moment where they where they touch hands. Oh, at the very end, yeah. And he gets his family. Yeah. So that's what this is like. And then he goes. Yeah. Yeah. That little moment is that's it. It's like okay, you paid your price, but it's not punishment. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you 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 did it. Um, very sweet. I want to I want to push on because I'm conscious of time, but um, okay. Let's just flip this really briefly to. Uh, to two things we wanted to to bring up just to sort of counterpoint it. Um, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, we talked about last week, but um, this Logan, I'm glad we did Logan um, this week because yeah. it serves as a good ex- uh, as a, as an example of action being generated by character. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, it yeah, it you you feel it coming. F- like it's it's built. The reason it's built out of this character as well is because Hugh Jackman's played him for seventeen years. Yeah, and Hugh Jackman was very adamant that we aren't. They weren't going to end Wolverine on a bad film. It's not going to be X Men Zero. Yeah, it has to. It, this has to be good because it's. And the thing about Hugh Jackman as well, you can tell, he really respected being Wolverine. Mm. He knew how much it meant to fans. He because un- the thing about Wolverine was Wolverine is the most popular X Man. Right, and he was it caused up, uproar, didn't it? That they hired a six foot. That was a problem. He was totally unknown, yeah. uh, and everyone and so fans were just like you know Professor X. Everyone wanted Patrick Stewart to be Professor X, yeah. right? That in fact they hired Patrick Stewart because they felt no one will accept this as the real X Men film without Patrick Stewart. <laughs> so they hired Patrick Stewart, and he plays Professor X, even though Professor X has never been British. Right, he's never been British, but they've got Professor X. Why? Because he's the only bald guy geeks knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it. And he's amazing, Patrick Stewart. And, and so Patrick Stewart, you've got Picard, and you've got. And by the way, I've been rewatching the Next Generation. Yeah, there's nothing of Xavier in Picard. Really, he's actually you get lost because he look. He's got such a distinctive look and yeah. voice. He's nothing like Xavier. I love. I love actors that. That have such a distinctive look, so yeah. the, the characters look identical, but you're gone. Yeah, the... Pat, Johnny Picard is like, I'm the captain of this starship, Captain's Log. This is who I am. T. Oh, great, hot, right? All that stuff. Xavier's nothing like that. Xavier's like, someone has come along. You still have time, and all that stuff. And he's just so quiet. That Xavier impression is dangerously close to your Gandalf. It, I can't help it. But then Magneto and, and Professor X are friends. So what's the problem, right? Uh, so, okay. So that, actually, that's interesting because now the most popular characters are Magneto and Professor X. Because Stuart and McKellen 
couldn't hide their off-screen friendship. Mm. So it didn't work that they were the bad. They hated each other in the film. It just didn't work because they'd be like, "Charles, we are the future Charles, not them. Let's hang out on Twitter." Right? It's just like this is t- they're too lovable. And then Fassbender and McAvoy uh, somehow just ma- gave it a dynamism and made took because they made that the center stage of the prequels. Mm. And so now Magneto and Xavier are the core of the X Men, and Wolverine is like that's it those three no one else really comes close so anyway Wolverine was a really big thing like how do you get Wolverine to work he was it was always Wolverine and his amazing friends okay Wolverine and the super friends uh, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to work out whether that's yeah. the name for the team or not no. it's always been like Wolverine and those guys and so how do you get it and so Hugh Jackman got it it catapulted his career the fans took to him Everyone kind of loved him. He always treated it with respect that people had sort of treated him this way. And he always felt bad that he wasn't giving them the Wolverine films they deserved, that Mm -hmm. Origins didn't do well, that the Wolverine did okay, but it wasn't enough. And he's like, I got one film left and it needs to be the film they've been wanting for 17 years. It has to be. That that last ride. Yeah, it's got to be this one. And so he was a real hard ass apparently about it. He was like, he was really obstinate and really this has to be good this cannot be bad this has to be and he was like it should be like a western it should be this and so on I remember he went on Twitter and he went we're prepping the the last Wolverine what do you want to see and people are just tweeting him well, I remember I tweeted him on my, mm. it's like I, this is what we want to see out of the Wolverine and clearly he was like I need to know what people want and so the fan community were ridiculously lucky to get him ridiculously sure. lucky in fact it's funny because I, I know I get I get ribbed for this but I think uh, I feel the same way about Ben Affleck as Batman this is a guy who was Daredevil uh, and it flopped and now at the height of his career where he's producing Oscar winning films he's like I would love to do Batman justice and I would love to make the fans happy and you've got this guy who's like I will do Batman on the schedule it takes me to do my other Oscar winning films and I will not do the factory nonsense crap I want to do this properly and I want to treat this with respect and then people are going yeah whatever you were rubbish in Pearl Harbor he's like okay fine and so it's just like uh, he's the hero he's the Batman we deserve but not the one we need or whatever it is right he's he's the one we need but not the one we deserve so whatever but anyway so Hugh Jackman was just uh, wonderful about it and so he he had to make it do you know had to have it come out so that's why I think we got Logan where Fox kind of let Hugh Jackman do it they, they Fox let them do it I mean I don't know what if Fox has understood the lessons from the last two films uh, super films they made that were huge successes but they were Deadpool and Logan and both of them are passion projects so maybe maybe you should meddle in the films maybe that's maybe that's the thing to do like Noah Hawley apparently is doing Doctor Doom Noah Hawley of Fargo it's doing Doctor Doom it's doing a Doctor Doom film and the Josh Trank Fantastic Four remember they ruined with their editing uh, so there's a point that's like let Noah Hawley do it just just let him do it don't just sign checks and do nothing else because you mess up every Shit, time I hope, same, it's the sa- I hope Doctor Doom has a Minnesotan accent <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah same with like Sony and Spider-Man <laughs> Like Spider-Man, like Spider-Man Homecoming comes out, and Marvel's like, this is how you do Spider-Man. And I was like, this is the best Spider-Man. So he's like, yeah, we're going to do Black Cat and a Venom film, and uh, they might be part of the MCU or whatever. And like Kevin Feige's like, uh-uh, 
no, no, we're not. This is so. There's this whole thing of just like you know, I ripped on. I, I got upset with this with Wonder Woman, and I, it, and this is the lesson I think of Logan, which was that there's this sort of thing with Wonder Woman where get the set pieces done, then write the film to make the set pieces make sense, um, and then because Wonder Woman has the same sort of passion. Uh, Patty Jenkins really wants to you can hear her talk about it over and over again this is the kind of thing she wanted to do with Wonder Woman and all that stuff but you can tell Wonder Woman has had this horrible hand in it that's just get this thing filmed within a certain time frame and then edit exposition around it to make sense of it and so none of what they wanted in the film is there it's just them talking about it can you can you tell your little Tom Holland story? yeah so the Tom Holland story I saw an interview with Tom Holland he's talk, He's being interviewed uh, about Spider-Man I think and they're talking about uh, Infinity War and they ask him about Civil War and Spider-Man's in Civil War and he goes oh yeah there was only one scene where I didn't meet any of the Avengers that's, that's, oh, that's how it was they asked them he asked him this is the first time you've met the Avengers which was at D23 I think it was because they had the whole of the Marvel Universe at D23 so he says, is this the first time you've met all the other Avengers? He goes, yes, yeah, first time I've met all the other Avengers. And um, you didn't meet them at Civil War? And he goes, no, no, I was in green screen the whole thing. The only person I met, I had one scene with Captain America and that's it. So all that airport stuff, Spider-Man's not there. And if you watch the trailers for Civil War, he's not in them. Hmm. He's not in those trailers. You guessed actually before uh, hearing this interview, you guessed that yeah, uh, he 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 never met them. And remember how I said I think they filmed that before they cast Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I might be right on that one. So he's talking about how he, the only person he met was Steve Rogers, and that's the only guy he talks to in the thing. He has that scene with him, and then he goes, "But if you're Infinity War, it's even crazier." And the only thing is, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, I'm finding a guy. I don't even know who I'm finding." And like, what what what? And he's, he explains that there's a bunch of tennis balls around me, and they're saying, "Yeah, jump more energy," but they're not telling me who I'm fighting, where I am what I'm doing or anything like that and and uh, and then he said like Robert Downey Jr. said by the third film you'll be having a stunt double do all this and I'm sitting there I'm like this is so this is what's wrong this is why you get bad action films because people think you just have action sequences and the action sequences don't express the character that they don't express the story but actually, that is how you express character and story in action. Let's compare when when this movie comes out. This whatever scene it was, yeah, um, and you'd be able to spot it. It's going to be Spider Man fighting some zappy aliens. Um, but compare how much you feel watching that action movie, uh, yeah. watching that action sequence, and how excited you are to the scene where Logan has the guys in the car and they're trying to escape the compound. Right. That's By the way, that scene was hilarious. <laughs> when we saw that, Jason, Stu, and, and Matt and I, we, we laughed out loud when he drives into the fence and the car oh, gets caught stops. up in the fence yeah. and he can't drive and he has to reverse so everyone just starts laughing. It's like, that's brilliant. And, so, <laughs> this, and also that explains why Mr. Sinister can't be in the film. <laughs> you can't have like fences work according to physics. I'm Mr. Sinister. Be heard. Uh, so that wouldn't work. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that, that sequence is just, that was just great. And it's all there filmed on set 
as much as it can be. Um, you know, can you imagine? Can you imagine Christopher Nolan filming The Dark Knight and Heath Ledger and Christian Bale aren't in the same scenes? Right. It's just insane that you would do that. Like how, if if say Spider Man in these scenes is fighting Thanos, why is Josh Brolin not there? Spider Man, the guy playing Spidey can't act if there's no one to act off of. Yeah. And what's more is my suspicion is the reason that they haven't put who's there is because it's not Thanos. It's one of Thanos's goons, and they haven't even cast who that is yet. Right. And this is I understand that you have these these CGI villains so why have the actor there it's all going to be done in post right mm. but James Gunn had his brother playing Rocket Raccoon to such an extent that the people who play the Guardians of the Galaxy think James Gunn's brother Sean I think his name is is Rocket not not Bradley Cooper in their head Bradley Cooper is just the guy who did the voice the character comes from his brother oh, really yeah because his brother's on set doing all the mannerisms and talking and all that stuff then Bradley Cooper just does the voice I don't think they mean it as a a, uh, as a denigration against Bradley Cooper mm. but it's more like you guys don't get how much like Sean, Sean Gunn is the Andy Serkis of Rocket Raccoon right 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 yeah. but Andy Serkis does the voice for Gollum so he got all the sure, the, yeah. the stuff for it but he doesn't do the voice for him so and Bradley Cooper's a big name right so uh, uh, I remember Taylor Kitsch after he did Battleship because I don't I don't yeah, do yeah. any more CGI movies and they went what about John Carter's sequel he went that's not a CGI movie. Why? Because Taylor Kitsch had Willem Dafoe on set in a giant contraption thing, so he was the right height yeah. as a Thark and interacted with Willem Dafoe. And then Willem Dafoe just got CGI'd out. They did the same, they did every scene twice, once with the actor, like Willem Dafoe, once without. Mm. And Taylor Kitsch had enough muscle memory that he could remember his exact movements for both mm. takes. And so they went back and forth. And it's always been established that you get the actors in the room. So that you have, right? And so you have this trend now where it's like, well, we'll just book the set piece in advance. We don't know why the characters are having their set piece. The actors aren't even going to be there. Uh, you just do it in front of a green screen. And it's so that they can fast, pay, fast track all these films to production. But the audiences don't like it. They're empty. And the best scenes... And the movies that work the best are not ones made that way. Logan is not made that way. Uh, Logan comes from the character. The whole point of Logan is this is a story only Wolverine could tell. Perfect moment. What do we take for our own writing? Let's put a neat little bow on this. Character and story are the same thing. They're the same, two sides of the same coin. Uh, when you're, It doesn't matter what genre you're writing. At some point, you should ask yourself, why... What story can this character tell? And what character does this story need to tell it? So, because you go from one end or the other, right? If you're inspired by something, you want to tell a story about corporate espionage and corporate corruption and all that stuff, what kind of character do you need to tell that story? And you might go through several drafts and you go, I don't want a journalist, I don't want that, I don't want that, it's the janitor, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, and then you might go, okay, I have this character who is messed up and this. What kind of story can I tell from this character? Uh, what sto- what events do I need to to uh, express the traits in them? You know, uh, we mentioned this, I'm sure, hmm. about the brutality of Taken, right? 
We did a whole podcast on Taken, didn't we? We did. This is episode fifty-four. There's going to be some repetition. I'm sure I'm sh- no, I'm sure. I'm saying like I'm thinking more. Go. You can go listen to that one. But uh, oh, the Taken episode. I think we did one on Taken, right? I think we did. Anyway, we, we did because we talked about Punisher. Yeah. So, uh, what events do you need to show the brutality of Brian Mills? Taken two doesn't do that. Taken three doesn't do that. So sort of generic. They don't feel mm. interesting and so on. So it's 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 about that thing. Like Logan comes from the characters, the story and characters are working together, and they have the actors on set. It's motivated by a person who loves the character they're playing, has been playing them for seventeen years, and wants to do a really good story that expresses that character and exhausts that character fully. And that's how they finally made Logan. Um, and that kind of desire doesn't exist 95% of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, it's just, let's just have this thing happen. It's like, no, Indiana Jones wasn't even done like this, right? They had everyone on set, <laughs> even if the set was in the fucking rainforest, okay? Everyone's on set, and George Lucas is going like, how can I express that tone of adventure and pulp adventure and so on and then he made Indiana Jones so the character was created out of I want to tell these kind of stories what kind of character do I need to tell these kind of stories I need an Indiana Jones he created Indiana Jones that's how they work together and so this trend that we have towards everyone's on CGI screens cast a big name have them do generic things probably improvise their dialogue and it doesn't and just uh, we'll fix it in post afterwards and then we'll write the story as we're filming is uh, I think is just is the every time I see a film like that I'm like yeah we're one step closer to people aren't going to go to the cinema anymore this franchise thing is going and everyone's just going to move to television because hmm. in television you get you get what I've been talking about you yeah. get exactly that you have people who've been playing these characters for years now ever since Breaking Bad actors come in and want characters that will be interesting to play after five years and everyone wants to tell stories that these characters express and they go they they want that sort of symbiosis they want the the that holistic approach to writing and stories and characters and they want actors opposite them that they can act off of and learn from. And so television is doing. Mm. But film action cinema isn't. So we'll see. Lovely. Okay. Well, I wouldn't have made this... I couldn't have made this movie with Jim unless I'd come to peace with the fact this was the last one. When I say peace, it was peaceful at the end. It, the decision was clear. But the moment I made that, the stakes on this movie just tripled. And I said to Jim, I said, Jim, I... I we have to look each other in the eye and if I can't honestly say that's a definitive movie about that character, then I failed. So I'm not gonna say yes until we've got to that point. And Jim was great. He came on board and said, great, and developed an unbelievable story. He exceeded all my expectations. I'm so proud of it. So I am kind of at peace with it now. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I was nerve wracking and I was a pain in the ass to a lot of people. <laughs> I really was. I'm sure. Way more than I've ever been before. <laughs>